0: Hello, everyone. Today, I'm excited to welcome Lori Rizzo to the podcast. Uh, Lori is an end-of-life doula, a hospice volunteer, and a caregiver advocate. Dying is a human experience, not a medical one. She provides emotional and spiritual support and comfort through the dying process. Lori is a non-medical practitioner who offers a holistic approach from exploring your life and legacy to facilitating difficult conversations and final wishes. Whether facing a terminal illness, navigating grief, or planning for the future, she will walk alongside you, a trusted friend, with compassion and calming presence. Lori started her practice Compassionate Crossings last year to offer her elder care and end-of-life doula services. Welcome, Lori, to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to be here. So this is rather unusual. How did you come to be a doula? I get that
1: question a lot, of course, um, because it also comes along with, well, what is a doula? Because most people do not know what that is. But for me, it was it was relatively quick. I I heard the term end of life doula and I was intrigued to just look it up and see what it is. And there was something, um, again, that was intriguing. I felt drawn to learn more, um, took a, a free webinar from one of the training organizations, which was very basic, but that's what I needed, you know, because there's information out there, but to pour through all of it, this was a nice one hour or however long. And it gave me a sense And he started talking about it with, with my spouse. And it was something um, I thought I would probably do when I retired. Um, And I was, I did have a retirement plan and I was going to be relatively young um, when I retired. So I didn't think it was that far off. And then I lost my job and it just seemed like, why don't I just look into this more, take a break from the corporate world. And the more I learned and the more I read, the more I felt really drawn to it. Um, And I, I started out hospice volunteering. I wanted to see what it's like to be with people. I had my own experiences with death, with my parents that I was part of being there with them. Um, More my mom than my dad, because he died during COVID. But, you know, I, I, I just wanted to know what it was like to go into a home, someone's home with their family. It's a, it's an intimate setting and it's a difficult time and I'm a stranger. Um, and I felt I had the skill set, at least the compassion, which is what I brought. And I had to learn a lot. But I, you know, at the core, I just had this compassion for that, for that time of life that we don't talk about. But we all are going to encounter for ourselves as well as our loved ones, friends, family. We are going to lose if we haven't already, right? Um, loved ones, and it's such a it's it's just a, such a difficult time. And um, yeah, I I it's so hard for me to explain. Other than it seemed like a calling, which I was also fighting. It's like who am I to have a calling? Thankfully, I have an extremely supportive spouse, um, a very good therapist, um, a loving family, and um, a, a, a wonderful church family that I was able to work with all of them and sort of discern what it meant for me to have a calling um, and that I I could have a calling, that I didn't have to be Mother Teresa, you know, or or a clergy um, person to to feel a pull, a, a draw to do some kind of work. I think I was probably always looking for a helping profession, but I I just didn't know it. You know, I, I went through college and I started working and I ended up in various leadership and management positions and training. I was a corporate trainer for a while and I liked my work, but I don't know. I didn't ever love it. Um, But I never, I never prior to, that, you know, you're young when you go to college. I was a photography major first. Um, and then I, I didn't graduate with that. But, you know, the, your, your passions change. You go through life, things that happen to us, things we go through. Um, and it changes your perspective. And there was, there was something about this work that I, yeah, I just felt drawn to. And I still feel it.
0: That's how I know it's real for me. Yeah. it's. I can't even imagine. I've been um, through death experience with my grandparents and my parents, and it was so difficult. And I was alone. I was an only child. So Mm. if only I had known that there were people out there who could have given me some guidance or actually been there for me um i was fortunate i did have a caregiver uh when my mother and my grandfather both passed who was so incredibly helpful um and it meant so much to me and it's it's Mm -hmm. such a difficult time on so many levels Um, What is actually the definition of the word doula and when did people, when did it start being used?
1: I think it's been used for a while in in terms of birth doulas. So if you look up the word, you'll probably see that definition um, about um, usually a woman, doesn't have to be, who learns um, enough to help someone through the birthing process. We, We talk a lot about getting ready for birth there's a lot to do there's a lot to think of there's a lot to prepare but on the other end of life we don't talk a lot about it so i think the word has you know kind of changed in in for it, in this sense of a woman or a man who helps through if you will the labor of the dying process um and i i don't i don't really know when it became popular in the end of life world, people also use death midwife. Um, There's a lot of different, I remember some of the others, but death midwife, it's just like a birth midwife. But if you think about, you know, before modern medicine, not too long ago, really, um, when people died at home and it was time, there was usually a woman or women in the community, probably family, who were there to help with this process, and unfortunately, they didn't have a lot of the comfort measures we do now, with drugs and things to help people be more comfortable. But they were also there for the family and for the you know for the people who are grieving. They perhaps might have been grieving themselves. It was it was just as a just like babies were born right in the home. Maybe there was a doctor, maybe there wasn't, but there was a midwife um, and. Of course, what, what death doulas or end-of-life doulas are now, that was the other term sometimes is used, death doula.
0: Um,
1: what what it is, is, it's changed, but at its core, it's still an individual who can compassionately companion an individual and family or friends, whoever their chosen family is that's around them with the knowledge,
0: um,
1: the support that's needed. like. In your situation, you don't have any siblings and that caregiver meant so much to you because it was someone else there to help you take care of your loved one. Maybe she also listened to you. A lot of what an end of life doula does is just make hold space, meet people where they are. It's difficult to learn that you're dying, especially in a society that's kind of death talk avoidant. Right. We really don't talk about it as a whole, as a culture. It's almost taboo to bring it up, right? Um, so uh, I hope that answered your question. You don't remember it. <laughs> That's okay. Um,
0: so we hear about people going into hospice. Mm-hmm. So what is your role in a situation where Someone is in hospice either at home or in a hospital mm-hmm. hospital home or in a um care facility of
1: some kind. right so a nursing home could be also I will go wherever the individual and the family is so if they're at home, then I will go to their home. If they're in the hospital, I will be there with them. um I think the 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 challenging part is when does the doula get called in or get brought in? What part of the process? Just like hospice, many people wait until very late, whereas hospice care could have helped a great deal in the months preceding when hospice gets involved last minute, the the last week, or even sometimes the last couple of days. People can be on hospice care for up to six months or even longer in, in some situations, but many people avoid it. Um because they think it's I mean, it is the end because there's no more treatment to to cure. Um, but it's also hospice is about living, um knowing that you're living near the end of your life and how can you make the rest of this time comfortable, peaceful, um, and dignified, right? So uh, I would go wherever I'm needed and is it's not. With hospice, there's a lot of confusion. Well, how are you different than hospice? Um, technically, a doula could be part of a hospice care team, but currently, um, and I think in a good way, we're separate, except we work alongside of each other. So I could be the eyes and ears of a hospice. If somebody's in a nursing home, I could be the eyes and ears because they're not there every day. Hospice is great. The service is wonderful. It's caring people who take care of, of, of folks that are dying. But we know the, um, the staffing issues and a lot of other things involved in Medicare and all kinds of, we'll say it like kind of political things that kind of keep hospice sometimes from doing more that they could because of not having enough time. I have as much time as the family wants, so I could be there, you know, I'm not going to say night and day, 24 hours. So I don't think that's necessary. In um, some cases it might be, but I can be there. At times, on hospices, and I can I can help us There's more pain. We need to talk to the hospice nurse and make sure, you know, that mom is comfortable. Um, you know, kind of being part of the family, but also at the same time, um, outside an outsider who um, doesn't have the family history and dynamics and and has a clear kind of um, view of of this because I'm not as involved, you know. Um, So, um, yeah, alongside of hospice, not, not as hospice, I do not work for hospice, um, but hopefully, and you know, it's kind of relatively new, at least relatively new known, um, uh, part of a care team, um, and, and the hospice I, volunteer for and have for almost a couple about two years now is wonderful my my um, hospice coordinator loves the idea of dualists. she understands the need she um you know is very supportive in helping me to it very much so in the beginning to get get some like out in the field experience you know live with people because the training was wonderful but I needed also to to be with people, and then by doing so, by working with hospice and working with patients and and the hospice team, then I understand hospice more, you know, on the inside to help the family understand it better. Um, and and a big part of what I want to do is be able to educate the family as it's a good idea for you to get hospice now, you know. There, <laughs> and here's why and what they can do. As opposed to, oh no, we can't bring hospice in because then that's the end. Well, you know, if we can talk about it, we know it's the end. Doctors aren't going to do anything more. See, these are conversations that we don't often have. I mean, doctors don't often um say things like, let's talk about how you can live your best life from here on. There's nothing more we can do. That doesn't happen a lot until the end. And meanwhile, for a couple of months or however long. A person might be going through more treatment and more trying and, you know, they're tired and it's not about not having hope because I don't ever want to take that away from anyone. You know, if we have a disease and we learn about it, especially if it's something that's, um, you know, life limiting, that's hard and you want to do what you can to get better and to take advantage of the modern medicine. and yeah. Also talk about well, what if, you know, what if this doesn't work, or what if this gets worse? Can we be prepared? Can we at least talk about what you would like toward the end um, if if this doesn't work? But we're so resistant to it because it seems negative, and we should just be positive all the time. Um, and I agree with that. We should be positive. They talk about you know the health benefits of having a positive mindset that I'm going to beat this. I'm going to beat this. And yet <laughs> sometimes they don't and we don't.
0: Right. So, or, But there's, you also want to make sure that your loved one is comfortable, mm-hmm. but also I know having been in the situation uh, with my mother, the doctor said, okay, well, there's nothing more we can do. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him and I said, he said, you know, she's not going to live forever. And my response was, of course, I know that, but I want her to live the best that she can for as long as she can mm-hmm. and be as comfortable as she can. And there was uh, there was no communication. I mean, he had said what he needed to say and walked away.
1: Mm-hmm. In the
0: meantime, I had issues. I had definite issues. What direction am I going to take? What does this all mean? Mm -hmm. And um, how do I do the best that I can for my mother? So having an advocate or someone who can translate some of what I was being told would have certainly been a great thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then they were prolonging her life um, and suggesting measures that I didn't necessarily agree with, but I also needed to speak to somebody. And fortunately, I was able to speak to another physician who said, yes, you're doing the right thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. her her time is extremely limited at this point, mm-hmm. And we want to make her comfortable. Right. Exactly. So. The having a role like yours, Mm -hmm. that would have been so helpful to me on so many different levels. Mm -hmm. And the other part of it is that you have your loved ones there, but they don't know the system. They don't know what's going on either, because most of them have never been through it. So now I can understand how important it would have been to have someone like you on my side.
1: Yeah, and sometimes the family is is now the caregiver, someone in the family or the family, and they're not trained, (laughs) right? We don't get we don't get ready for this, and and that's sad because now I can't work, so on my you know on FMLA or something, and and it's a hardship on or or maybe now with with the sandwich generation, they're raising children and and helping their older aging parents and that's a lot and working you know everyone's situation is different there's people maybe who have no problem with that because their life is such that they can take that time but then there is the problem of not being trained to to do this and having to do it with someone you love or maybe even someone you love but you have a lot of difficulty with i mean it's not always uh a loving situation within families, right? There is discourse, there's resentment, and sometimes it's really hard. And sometimes, you know, I can, you know, a doula can help meet people where they are and facilitate conversations that are difficult to have, um, whether... They're separate, you know, or talking about the parents' wishes and maybe the children don't want that. Don't put them on morphine because that's going to make them die fast. I don't want them to die. I don't want them to not know who we are in the last few days. Well, what does that mean to your parent, your mom, let's say? She needs, she's in pain. So it's really up to her. And if you give her permission to take the pain medicine, and then she knows she'll be comfortable and you know she'll be comfortable. You know, but again, <laughs> being involved earlier is helpful because we can lead up to that. Um, if someone has, you know, and it's always hard, we don't know. They have a month, they have two months, they have three months. Sometimes doctors even overshoot that because they they care and they don't want to say, well, it's probably only two months. They might say six months to a year. but But in reality, we don't really know many times um but we do have I do like to think of it as a gift not to have a disease that you're dying from but to know because now there's time for goodbyes there's time for amends there's time for sharing memories there's time for whatever needs to be done whatever will make the person who's leaving and going to be transitioning at peace and whatever will bring their loved ones some peace knowing that they did provide and they helped provide a comfortable, um, dignified, um, peaceful, it can be peaceful, um, you know, transition. And that's that's usually what the person wants. Now, sometimes even the individual who's dying doesn't want, you know, the the morphine, for example, or wants more treatment. Um, and that's those are difficult conversations. So part of what what my goal is with the family is to kind of help educate. Like you said, you didn't really know where to go. And the doctor said that had to help educate what the options are, demystifying the dying process. Um, most people, depending on the, di- even though there are many different disease processes, if we die naturally, it, it kind of generally happens the same way in, in the sense that, you know, there might be more pain at the end or they might start sleeping or not wanting to eat. That's a big thing. Like you have to eat, keep your strength up. But the body knows. The body doesn't want the nutrition. It doesn't need it. It's shutting down, right? It's like, um, you know, the body knows how to shut down with illness. So you don't want to force them to eat. If, eat what they want, how much they want. There's no need because it actually can be harmful. and more painful to eat especially certain foods or certain amount when you don't want to eat. But we're so programmed to so say you have to eat, you have to eat. It's, you know, we do it to children. <laughs> we do it to people who are who are older, who are not as hungry anymore because they're aging. Um so there's there's a lot of education and there's a lot of normalizing and all wrapped up in compassion and care and someone that you've come to trust. That's a big thing. I have to meet a family and gain their trust pretty quickly to even be hired. Right. And then prove to them that I have all of their best interests, not just the family, not just the person, but everyone. So everyone is on the same page. Um, There's practical things to talk about, but then there's a lot of emotional and spiritual. You know, so it's. Again, I think it's a gift to die a gradual death in that sense. And most of us, many of us will die that way. And we also lose people um, suddenly, whether through, you know, accidents and um, quick, heart attacks, you know, things that just take us quickly. And we don't, I'm not comparing, which is harder, because you really can't do that. On, on the grief. Um, but the grief starts before the death when it's a gradual death. When someone knows they're going to die, they're grieving. The family's grieving. Their loved ones are grieving already. And that has to be normalized because that's okay. You know, that's something I went through with my mom. And I remember thinking, why am I so upset? Like she's still here. And she was diagnosed and lived for two years. She had um, non Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I went through what's called anticipatory grief. I actually thought I coined the term, but it turned, like, why am I anticipating this? She's still here. And we were a family that never talked about what if. Mom was diagnosed. She was 83. She was strong. She was going to fight it. She said it. We all were on board. We never talked about what if. Now, we did have time with her at the end, Um, you know, about a week and a half or so in the hospital. Um. And I'm, I, I'm always open about like that situation with my mom was so hard because she was on a respirator and we had to pick the day that we would remove it. See, I still get <laughs> emotional about it. it. never dawned on me that that would ever be how I saw my mother die, that we would know the date. Um, And I guess I got off on a little tangent with my own experience, but, but. We were able to spend time with her. She was cognizant cognizant and alert, but she couldn't talk. So that was like an evil twist of fate because she liked to talk and we liked to listen. You know, she was well-loved and, but we did spend the time. I, you know, we did get to, but there wasn't a lot of thought in advance. So we were all with her. For example, when she died, my siblings and my dad and all of our spouses until there was like nine of us. Um, And, you know, knowing what I know now, I wish I would have asked her, and I don't regret because I can't go back. We did the best we could, but it would have been nice to ask her what she wanted that to look like. Did she want us all there? Did she just want my dad? Did she want us all there to support him? Or did she not want us because she would feel like it would be too hard? And that would but then be too hard on her. These are things we can talk about because it's really up to the individual. And even though, you know, she died in the hospital, it was still possible to ask her. And I didn't know this then, so it's okay. But when it is time, do you want music playing? Do you want candles? We're in a hospital, but she had her own room. That was fortunate. Um, do you want it to be lively or do you want it to, we all just sat around kind of like waiting. We didn't really even talk. Um, I'm sure we did a little, but my memory is mostly that we were just waiting. And they told us it could take hours. Um, again, I don't, I try not to regret, but there are so many, there's things I could have done or we could have done, had we known and talked about things. Like prior to her getting sick, recording her telling some of the stories that, She told us through the years when she grew up on a farm in Kentucky and married my dad, who was, you know, an Italian from from New York. Um, These stories that like, you know, it would be nice to have them. Um, So that goes into talking about like a lot of what a doula can help with is legacy. And how do you want to be remembered? Or if it's not possible to ask the individual, then how does the how how do you want to remember your mom? And we can work on things too, whether it's photographs and, you know, making art or collages out of them or a recipe book for my mom. That's something that would have been wonderful um, because we have the recipes, but, you know, I'm sure we don't have all the things, uh, but it wouldn't have been fun to like do that with her. It would have meant something to her, but, you know, we didn't know. So there's, I mean, the scope of services for a doula, Um, at at least in the work I want to do is so broad and depends so much on the the situation and the family Um, when dementia or Alzheimer's um, you know, Alzheimer's is a form of dementia. It is the most common. That's everything is different, especially if nothing was talked about prior to um, that, the dementia, Advancing to where now person's not able, you know, to speak on their own um, and, and express what they want and express um, things that they wouldn't like to have said or apologize for, or get forgiveness for. Um, so I'm definitely uh, I've drawn to dementia because there's a lot of it <laughs> out there. Um, and it's, I mean, I've learned it's, it's the most difficult disease process for families to deal with. Um, and I've seen a lot of hospice patients, um, and clients I worked with that, um, it's just, it's heartbreaking. (laughs) So again, my, my role or my goal to educate is even about that. Like, we don't want to just talk about it once we know someone is sick. We can talk about it now as part of life because it is. And with that, understanding each other better, you know, understanding our loved ones better. What's important to them? You know, what's, what are they afraid of? Many people are afraid of death, right? It's like the second, um, behind, you know, next to uh, public speaking, I think, <laughs> that's the most feared, right, of, of um, our culture, our society. And I mean, I'm afraid of it some, you know, just because I do this work doesn't mean I don't wonder what it'll be like for me or when I go through it with my spouse. If, you know, whichever one of us um, is in that situation at end of life first, it's, 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 there's a lot of fear. And I think that education around it can help dispel or uh, avoid a lot of that fear. Not that we'll be okay when, you know, it's not as though like, oh, I've been talking about this with my family. So all this time I know about, you know, I understand death and I accept it and I know what mom wants. No, it's not going to be just like no big deal. But you'll feel more prepared, just like, and I've never been pregnant, but when you have a baby, you need to feel prepared, right? The family, the, the, the father and the mother. There's a lot to prepare for, and we're just never can't say never. Much of the time, we're not prepared for others to die, that, you know, that are in our lives. So um, I think I went off on a tangent, probably. No, (laughs) that's fine because
0: a lot of what you said we don't normally think about. Um, Plus, you want if if you're if your loved one is passing away or crossing over, you want them to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. And that's so important. And when people don't know what to do or what the situation is, then it becomes, there's all of the stress, which doesn't have to be there. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, what you said was really amazing. And a lot of it I had never thought of. And I don't think a lot of people do. Um, Certainly, I had no idea about the work that you do. Um, And as I said before, how wonderful it would have been to know that I could have gotten help when I needed it. And typically,
1: when I meet people and they learn what I do and I give them, you know, a quick rundown, most people have story. And sometimes it's 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 a um a, a good memory of a what they call a good death, right? Where it was peaceful and they were with the family, a grandmother, but in other times it was horrific for them because it's devastating. You don't know what to do, there was so much stress. Um, so I hear everybody, again, I, I mean, without fail, anytime I meet someone, I tell them what I do. They just are telling me about their experience with death. Um and, like you, God, we could have used that, you know, we could have used that help because there are other resources that you need when that's when it's time, right? There's other things to think about, like we have to sell the house, we have to put you know downsize, put put mom or dad in in a home you know in a nursing home. Um, there's finances, you need an estate attorney. like there's so many other things to do. What should the family be doing is spending time? with that so i can help organize too i can help organize what needs to be done and who's going to help if there's if there's family um you know i can't do it all but i can help you know navigate that whole process cuz really the most important thing especially at not even especially at the end but when we know is to to spend that time emotionally um and spiritually with that person and you know, say the goodbyes, all of the things they've already said. Um, comfort them by just being there, knowing, you know, that someone's there. And I just want to mention one other thing. There are a lot of people who don't even have family or solo agers. It's, it's I don't know the statistics, but there's a lot of them. Of course, we know about the baby boomers aging what I've heard called the silver tsunami and all of the sudden we're having baby boomers in these ages that they should start thinking about this and their children should know that they're thinking about it and we're talking about it together because they're the ones that are going to be it's just it's growing this need for for more support at end of life and you know what I do and what other end of life doulas do is kind of like I don't want to say fill in the gaps, but to provide another layer of support in many, many different ways. The only thing is not medically. And I think you mentioned that in my introduction. Um, We are not trained medically. I was trained with um, the understanding of some of more common disease processes and and, and things like that that I can follow along more um, and know what questions to ask. Um, but everything, you know, it can even help pre-planning funeral, um, you know, post bereavement support. Um, yeah, it's, I, I, I do have my website and the services are pretty, you know, spelled out pretty much spelled out there. Um, because again, every scenario is going to be different. Every family has different needs and I have to assess that in the beginning and work with them on
0: how I can best support. So that leads into another question. And that is, do physicians recommend you? Do hospitals recommend you? Um, How do people find out about what you do?
1: Um, I think there's a lot more work to be done for the medical community to first know that we exist and then embrace it. So I've heard some some doulas and I have a lot of networks through the training, which is really helpful um, as a sole practitioner um, to have, you know, support of other doulas. And, you know, I have heard of some and I would like to do this, figuring out how to get in the hospital, like who who to go to to offer to do, you know, even an hour seminar or talk with certain staff palliative care team, they should definitely know, um, because I think that's something important at that point, maybe before someone's on hospice, or even when they are, sometimes they work together, or nurses, ICU nurses, doctors, um, to just educate them on on it, because a lot of times they're not even trained on end-of-life care. You know, the times that I'm in the nursing home with hospice patients, their staff, they're aides, they're nurses, but they're not trained in end of life care. Even something as simple as, you know, just let her have it. It's okay. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't matter anymore that she's diabetic. You know, probably not a good example, but, you know, can you get a private room? This person is, you know, at this stage and they're, they're noisy places. Um, so again, I think I went off on a attention
0: but it's It's fine yeah Um, so and those are all very very important issues and important questions um so having said all that all of your information will be in the show notes Mm -hmm. Uh, tell us where people can find you so i am you know trying social media marketing
1: instagram and facebook and linkedin is what i'm how and then of course my website um, overall, that's more difficult. Again, I want to educate because getting out there in the community explaining and educating that this exists along with all of the other support that's there and how it can work together. Um, and you know, uh when I meet people, I ask them to share. I've been doing networking as you know, um, and you know, being in those scenarios with other professionals who also don't know it exists, right? So um, they may know someone, maybe not their own family, but a friend or a neighbor who's going through something and can can say, hey, I heard about this. You know, I I feel like for now it's a lot of word of mouth, but we... In the doula world, there's a lot of, you know, celebration when there's like an article or a podcast. Um, So there has been some like in Time Magazine and some bigger, more, you know, across the board kind of um, media. Um, And then the national,
0: mm, I'm gonna,
1: I think it's hospice, It's, it's the national hospice foundation, that's not what they're called. (laughs) They've worked together with, with some of the doulas that were more of the pioneering doulas to, to come together. So they're also, it hasn't always trickled down into the individual hospices because there's so many of them, but, but they're very supportive, um, and really buy into the need for it. So if I could get out in the community You know, geriatric doctors, and I I haven't done a lot of this yet because there's so much else, you know, that I'm I'm doing. But that's the way I believe, you know, word of mouth. But that's low, right? So getting out in the community a little bit more, I'm trying with the social media. I'm not alone. There's so many um, other sources out there too that are trying to educate on aging and, um, you know, dementia and. How to, you know, a lot of things involving aging, aging Americans, because there are a lot that are alone. And they may even have children, but they're not involved for some reason or they live far. So That is another service. I just wanted to mention that I provide um, like more of an elder companion. So someone who can still live at home on their own, but needs more help. And those are the also good times to kind of start talking about some of the other things. Like, do you have an advanced directive? Does your family know what your wishes are with that? Um, and then more. What do you want your legacy to be? So, so taking taking them to doctor appointments, helping with meal prep, um, socializing, just being a companion, just sitting and listening, because sometimes people are lonely, you know, not maybe. They've never married or their husband died or, you know, and and if the children are involved, if they have children, it's hard on them. So I can help take that some of that burden off again, become a trusted friend. Um, That's that's someone that can be the eyes and ears for the children and report it and say, you know, I'm noticing some things with mom Um, could be whatever, you know, physically or um, cognitively um but but also again the loneliness you know everyone deserves to have someone to talk to um and if they can't drive anymore there's no need to always move in somewhere because now you can't drive you know i can help with all of that so
0: so people can reach out to you and um even though you're you're located in Pennsylvania Mm-hmm. but if some of our listeners have questions they can mm-hmm. reach out to you and absolutely. maybe you can point them in a direction with regard to where they live
1: mm-hmm. absolutely yeah and they can help answer any preliminary questions too and i do have resources all over the country of um or contacts you know of other of other zulas so um you know, some of the rural areas have doulas, and they don't have enough people. There are a lot of tele doulas now, so it can be done. I don't particularly do that. I could or would if there was a need, um, but there are some that just do that, born out of COVID probably, but now is sticking around like a lot of other, you know, communication like Zoom and and things. So. Um,
0: Well, I thank you so very much. (laughs) This has been so helpful. And as Mm -hmm. I said, I wish I had met you years ago because Mm -hmm. I certainly could have used the help. But thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thank
1: you so much. It was lovely to chat with you and I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Please follow us, submit a rating and review, and share us with your friends. This helps our message reach more listeners. For more information about my products, visit JustWantedToAsk.com. Thank you.